Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. It's now Wednesday, September 16th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, today, per usual, by my colleagues Matt Neulander and Sam Vecini. And uh, while there are a few different places to start today, and yes, I promise we're going to discuss the San Diego State story in great detail, I think I'd prefer to start with some interesting comments from Hall of Fame coach Jim Beheim who told a reporter yesterday that he believes the punishment the NCAA hit his program with is, quote, excessive. Um, He says the NCAA is trying to make an example out of his program, and I actually think that's probably true on some level, but that doesn't necessarily mean the punishment is excessive. Now, it's been a while, um, so folks might be fuzzy on what the findings were and the punishment actually is, so um, I'll review really quickly for you. The NCAA concluded, ultimately, that there were several instances of academic fraud, including one case where two staff members did coursework for a player to help him pass a class and thus keep him eligible. The NCAA found some players who failed drug tests weren't held out of practices and games, even though that was the school's written policy. The NCAA also found a booster gave cash to basketball players for, quote, volunteer work at a YMCA. The punishment is that the NCAA vacated a bunch of Syracuse wins, uh, you know, games in which... Uh, ineligible players competed. They suspended Jim Beheim for the first nine Atlantic Coast Conference games of the upcoming season, and they cut three basketball scholarships a year for the next four years. So, Norlander, let me start with you. Uh, is Jim Beheim got a good point here? Is it excessive punishment, or is it just Jim being Jim? It could be just Jim being Jim here. You know, we're in the off season. He has not talked to the media about this in many months. A simple rehash on his behalf. If I had to guess, I'm thinking that this quote, this notion, these words, we're going to hear from Beheim a couple more times in the next three to four months. And then he might get asked about it come January again, and he'll have a serious blow-up moment. That <laughs> might be the Beheim pattern that's ahead of us here. Of course he's going to have that sort of view, and of course he's going to be Beheim, and he will just dig his heels as far into the sand as he possibly can. Uh, because at this point, with the NCAA having said and done what it's done and come out, you know, there, there's a certain level of arrogance that is always there with Bayheim. But now that the, the future of the program is, I don't want to say steady, but it's clearer and perhaps more optimistic than it was the two weeks before he found out what the NCAA, NCAA was going to do here. I think this is just Bayheim, you know, trying to rewrite as little of the story as, as possible by saying as much as he can without getting himself into too much trouble. Sam? I'm not impressed by what he's saying here, and I'm not exactly swayed by it, and I don't think many people will be. Sam, is the punishment excessive, or what are you talking about, Jim Behan? Yeah, I, I, it's probably a little bit excessive just because the NCAA probably does want to make an example of Syracuse to uh, just kind of set a precedent that they're not going to you know, accept this in the future from their member institutions. But I mean, Jim, like <laughs> you had people doing Fab Mello's homework for him. Like you, you can't, you can't really complain about that. Like it might not have been him that like ordered, Hey, do Fab Mello's homework. But even in this statement that he made to uh, wherever that this, I think this came out at ESPN.com. Uh, he goes, I'm guilty of not monitoring, which is a very nebulous term. Nobody has defined it. What does that mean? Well, it means that 
you didn't know that someone was doing Fab Mello's homework for him, apparently. And that's probably one of the lower end infractions on this report. So let, it's probably a little bit excessive, but it's not something that I think he can really complain about personally. Here's what I would say. It's excessive only relative to some of the other punishments other guys yeah. have gotten in the past. Like Jim Calhoun ran a program that had a manager turned agent, which by definition makes him a booster because he was you know, a, a student manager for the UConn basketball program. He sub- this guy subsequently became an agent, and he essentially bought a player, bought a recruit for UConn, and they got caught. And there was a whole lot of communication. Uh, text message, phone calls between Jim Calhoun and this former manager. Now, unless you think Hall of Fame coaches are sitting around talking nonstop every other day, and I don't mean to exaggerate, but uh, you know, uh, talking way more often than than um, you would assume to their former managers, then you have to assume uh, reasonably that Jim Calhoun knew what was going on, and yet he only got suspended for three games. So it, if Jim Beheim's point is, I got nine games? For, for what I did, and Calhoun got three for that, I can sort of understand that. But as we know, the punishment phase has changed since the UConn case, and, and, and things are different now. That said, I do think the NCAA probably tried to make a example, an example out of Syracuse. But still, couldn't you reasonably argue that anything short of termination is, is by definition not excessive? Because, like, there are some people, including Pat Forty of Yahoo Sports, who thought Jim Beheim should lose his job. I mean, let's make sure everybody understands what, what, what went on here. For the better part of a decade, he was running a basketball program that operated outside of the rule book. That's just a, that, that's undeniable at this point. Now, we can argue how much he knew and how much he should have known, and those are all interesting conversations, I guess. But the bottom line remains the bottom line. He ran a program that operated outside of the NCAA rulebook, no matter how ridiculous you think the NCAA rulebook might be, uh, for the better part of a decade, at least. I mean, that's what we know, right? I mean, it could have been 30 years, but like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and only talk about what the NCAA talked about. And if you can do that, make millions of dollars, um, win championships, get to keep your national championship, you know, create a Hall of Fame career and not get fired, only get suspended nine games once you're busted. I think that's a pretty good deal. I'd take it. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, would too. Okay, so you you can run a program outside of the rule book for a better part of a decade at least. You can win a national championship, recruit high-level players, put them in the pros, make millions of dollars, be in, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and if you happen to get caught, you the, the suspension is going to be a nine-game suspension. Basically going to, you know, a four- or five-week suspension. Wouldn't you take that? I'd take that. I talked to a basketball coach this morning, and uh, he, he asked me, like, hey, did you see Beheim's comments? And I said, and I asked him this exact question. I said, if I told you you could coach for the next 10 years, win a national championship, build a resume that is Hall of Fame worthy, make millions of dollars, and if you get caught operating outside of the rule book, you'll only be suspended for nine games in a season, would you take it? He said, absolutely, I would take it. Like, who wouldn't take that deal? So when you put it in, like, when you frame it like that, how excessive is it really? I think it's a fair point. Uh, I just don't think we've heard from the last of Beheim on this. I think he'll just be Beheim. I think he's just going to continue to fight it verbally through the media until he gets sick of it. I think he'll talk about it until he's sick of talking about it, and then we might have a, a come-to-Jesus moment here before the season's out. But 
I don't know. No, what's going to be funny is a reporter will ask him about it midway through the year and he'll like blow up on the reporter for it. Well, like after like, talking about it for like six months, it's the best because like if you wanted to go like to ACC media day next month and sit down with Mike Krzyzewski and, and say, coach K, um, just, you know, I, I know you're coming off a national championship and, um, you know, a nice season ahead. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Corey Maggette case. He would just like not address it. He would just like, he would look at you like you're dumb. And then he would just say, I'm not here to talk. That's such old stuff. We've talked about that before. I have no interest in that. Uh, like, he is so disciplined in that way that if he doesn't want to talk about something, he will just like, not talk about it. And then like the conversation has to move on. There's because he just won't, he won't play ball. Whereas Beheim can't help himself. Like if you, I, I like, it should be almost a game for reporters. Like every other week, somebody is obligated. Like we do, like so just pull, so like pull a, um, uh, uh, numbers. All right. Hey, um, all right. Remember next week, you are, you're the one that's got to ask Beheim on a, on the conference call about the NCAA. And, Cause he would just, he'll rant about it every single time. I don't think he has whatever, whatever it requires um, somebody to remain disciplined and hold back. Like I don't, I don't know that Jim has that in him. No way. <laughs> Which I love because oh, for sure I'm not. I, I got because that's much more entertaining than the alternative. No, no doubt about it. I listen. I wish more coaches were as freewheeling as Beheim can be. Uh, even though he sometimes doesn't exactly help himself or his image when he's like that. But I got no problem with it. Syracuse will be interesting this upcoming season for sure. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of a weird headline to have pop up at this point in the offseason because uh, we're, you know, we're still not quite to, to preseason playing college hoops. But Bayheim is never media shy for sure. Never, ever, ever. So switching gears a little bit, uh, but staying in the uh, category of NCAA investigations. Yesterday I reported that San Diego State's men's basketball program, coached by Steve Fisher, is being investigated for allegations of rules via, potential rules violations um, that include impermissible benefits to uh, a prospect. Uh, I didn't know when I wrote this that I would catch San Diego State completely off guard. Like they, they no commented me when I called them yesterday morning, but I thought they were just no commenting because that's what they do. Turns out um, they genuinely, genuinely were unaware uh, that this very specific allegation. Uh, was being investigated. They subsequently released a statement after discussing it with the NCAA that said the NCAA told us uh, they have not launched a, quote, formal investigation, uh, which I, I guess is technically true, but I didn't write that it was a, quote, formal investigation. I merely wrote what I wrote, which is that um, they are under investigation for uh, allegation uh, of potential rules violations. And that thing, that is actively happening right now. Um, it's been wild to see the reaction from San Diego State fans because they act as if I'm, uh, you know, just making this up out of nowhere or relying on information from a rival as if I would do something like that or targeting the San Diego State program as if I would do something like why. You'd have to explain to me why before you'd, you'd get me to even you know, try to understand where you're coming from with that. But the truth is, um, I'm not investigating San Diego State, although maybe I should. The truth is the NCAA, like this is, this is like real. The NCAA is, quote, investigating a, an allegation um, that they deem credible. Like it's, you know, it's not one of these things where, 
hey, maybe you ought to go look into something. And they go, okay, maybe we'll get to that. And then I write the story. Like the NCAA, I feel comfortable saying this, deems the allegation credible enough that they are investigating that allegation uh, right now in a way that isn't nearly as common as some people have tried to to make it out to be. What I found interesting was the the frame the phrase formal investigation because uh, my understanding is that that's what they mean. Like it's nothing's formal until you receive a letter of inquiry from the NCAA. But the issue with that um, way of framing things is that if you go back and read all the Syracuse stuff, they didn't get their letter of inquiry for four years until uh, 2010. All right, and then of course it all. They get their notice of allegations, I guess, in 2014, but they got their initial, the letter of inquiry came in 2010. Now, when you ask Syracuse how long the NCAA investigated them, and you ask the NCAA how long the NCAA investigated them, what do they say? Eight years. Eight years. So they investigated Syracuse for four years before they even sent the notice of inquiry. So I guess that's my way of saying San Diego State, with its release, is like just playing a semantics game, and that's fine. But if you want, but the bottom line remains the bottom line. Uh, there is an allegation that the NCAA deems credible enough to investigate uh, of a potential rules violation that if they find what they think's there and are able to prove it, I'm told, will, um, would, would, would be a level one violation, which is obviously uh, the, serious, uh, the most serious kind. Let me ask you guys from a distance, because I, I heard about this first last week started working it. I didn't share it with you guys, not because I was trying to keep it from you, but I just didn't. So Whatever, like, and we're not on good. <laughs> so I guess, I guess my point is you read this yesterday at the exact same time, like everybody else started reading this yesterday. Do you think, um, cause here's what the San Diego state fan might tell you. Um, all this is, is we had a nothing program forever. Steve Fisher came in. He uh, has taken us to six straight NCAA tournaments and now people are accusing him of cheating. I don't doubt that um, other schools, have, that that's the way this NCAA investigation got started, by other schools reporting, uh, you know, San Diego State. But is this as simple as, yo, you're getting a little bit out of your lane, San Diego State. Um, we assume something's got to be going on. We're calling the NCAA on you. That's what San Diego State fans, do you think that's a reasonable thing for fans to think? Uh, I think it's reasonable. I think it's the natural jumping point for San Diego State fans to go. Um, I don't know the how this you know investigation originated. I, I can't speak you know with any sort of confidence that the NCAA received a tip from you know an opposing coaching staff that might have you know there are any number of ways the NCAA can discover these things. So I don't know how that that came about, but. It's not if, – if San Diego State fans want to think that this investigation and the stage it's in right now and the reason it's happening is based in any sort of course correction from the NCAA, I don't, that's not exactly – you would think that they would be playing favorites to certain programs, I guess, and that doesn't line up with the fact that UNC, UNC is currently you know, awaiting a potential massive hammer to come down Syracuse and its sanctions that we just discussed – there's, you know, it's it's not circumstantial in that kind of regard. I do find it interesting, uh, for sure, because, you know, broadly speaking, Fisher, who has not been 
GP, I mean, you, you said this in your updated story. I mean, Fisher's, and you, I think you said this on the radio yesterday, Fisher is not directly connected necessarily at this point to any sort of investigation. But the interesting facet is that, obviously, he has the Michigan. Sure. The Michigan stuff, which, again, it's not like it was all him, and a lot of that stuff was a guy, you know, connected to the Fab Five and Chris Weber and, and the stuff that was tainted there. But unfortunately for Steve Fisher, who has done, I've said this many times, what San Diego State used to be and what it is now, it's... Unbelievable! It's, it's like, try and picture a world in which San Jose State is expecting to reach the NCAA tournament every single year. Like, you can't even think that that's even possible at this moment. And that's basically what he's done with San Diego State. It's not uh, unlike what John... I mean, it, it's not the same. Because, like, John went to a Final Four and, like, was number one in the country. But... What Steve inherited at San Diego State isn't completely unlike what John Calipari once inherited at UMass. And no, Steve hasn't taken it to a Final Four, been ranked number one in the country, but he has been to six straight NCAA tournaments. I, I've said for a while, take this NCAA stuff and, and put it over to the side. What Steve's been able to do at San Diego State is incredible. With <laughs> yeah, he's really one of the most underappreciated coaches. Just, I mean, on I the floor product in all of college basketball. I mean, he's gone to two Sweet 16s in the last five years. Yeah. It's San Diego State. No, it's crazy. Now, I will say, um, I have found it a little, like, confusing because a lot of the comments I've gotten have been like, how could you even think for a second that something like this would go on in Steve Fisher's program? Like, Steve Fisher is an angel. Steve Fisher is an icon. Steve Fisher is a gentleman. And um, let me be clear. I like Steve Fisher. He has never been anything but a gentleman to me. Um, uh, but like two things I would say, one, this again, read the story. This ain't me telling you what I think went on at San Diego state. This is me telling you that the NCAA thinks something went on at, at, at San Diego state. This is like, I am very much only the messenger. I have been the investigator before, but in this one, I'm really just the messenger. I'm only telling you, uh, this isn't unlike somebody reporting that police are investigating Patrick Kane. It doesn't mean that newspaper's investigating Patrick Kane. It means that newspaper's telling you the police are investigating Patrick Kane. Similarly, I'm not telling you I'm investigating San Diego State. I'm telling you the NCAA is investigating San Diego State, and that is true. The other so, thing... Th yeah, go ahead. Now, there's just no any idea of any kind of timeline here. So we no, there's not, again, Syracuse was... Take, honestly, at least two years, right? Well, I mean, let, me, let me say this. Again... Syracuse was, by, by the NCAA's own timeline of things, this isn't something like I'm like, well, I think. By the NCAA's own timeline, they, quote, investigated Syracuse's program for four years before they even sent a, a, a letter of inquiry. And then it was another four years before Syracuse got its notice of allegations. So, no, there's no time frame on all of this stuff. And, and there is a chance it could lead to nothing. But I can't stress this enough. This isn't just something where somebody picked up the phone, called the NCAA, and said, you know, San Diego State shouldn't be going to six straight NCAA tournaments, and they're starting to recruit at a high level as well. NCAA, go find something. That's not what this is. This is something very specific that the NCAA deems credible. They don't go chasing around every, quote, tip they get. They sift through things, and if they, if they feel like it's credible enough to go investigate, then they go investigate, and that is what's happening right now. This isn't just some like random tip, they, anonymous tip, like Crime Stoppers. This is something 
it's not only an allegation, it's an allegation that the NCAA also deems credible enough to go and investigate. It doesn't mean they'll find it. These things are definitely hard to prove. But it does mean the NCAA believes that there's something there. That's why it's already reached the point that it's reached. The other point I was trying to make is that, like I said, Steve Fisher has always been a gentleman to me, and I think what he's done at San Diego State is awesome. That said, how could anybody with a straight face say, how could you assume something like this? Or how could the NCAA assume something like this could go on in Steve Fisher's program? He was the coach of the Fab Five. He was the head coach at Michigan when all of that recruitment was going on, when they were winning all those games and going to -to back-to-back championship games that were both vacated. How about this? There are two coaches in the history of that. There are thousands of coaches in the history of Division I basketball. There are exactly two who have had multiple Final Fours vacated. One of them is John Calipari, who the casual college basketball fan thinks is the biggest cheater in the world. It doesn't mean it's so. doesn't mean it's fair. I'm just telling you, we can all agree, the casual basketball fan thinks one of the two men with multiple vacated Final Fours is the biggest cheater in the world. If you try to say he's not, people clown you. And the other one is Steve Fisher. So what are we talking about? (laughs) All right? Like, stop it already. I'm not telling you Steve Fisher um, did anything. I'm just telling you the NCAA is looking into stuff that happened in his program and that Let's not be silly. It, 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 there's nothing like just don't go. Don't die on a hill for one of the only two guys in the history of college basketball with multiple vacated Final Fours. That seems a little silly to me. You probably got more blowback on this than you expected, right? Yeah. Here's why: because um, some people just don't understand semantics, and they 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 want to believe like. In fairness, like, I'll just say it by now. ESPN has a headline up right now that says San Diego State refutes report that they're being investigated. That is not what San Diego State did. That headline is just absolutely wrong. San Diego State did not refute that it is being investigated by the NCAA. San Diego State said the NCAA told them they haven't launched a, quote, formal investigation yet. San Diego State did not deny they're, they're, they're being, they have an allegation that's being investigated by the NCAA. So like that report from ESPN, like ESPN's powerful. And that headline's up right now. And that headline is bullshit. It's just wrong. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the result of San Diego State, I guess successfully for some dumb people, playing a semantics game. But I hope people listen to this, understand, that's all they're doing is playing a semantics game. Let me be clear. I, there is not a word in that story that I posted yesterday that is incorrect. I haven't deleted one word of that story. They, that San Diego State is being investigated for a very specific allegation of a potential rules violation. That is true. San Diego State didn't deny that. The NCAA hasn't denied that either. Nobody's denied that. Beyond that, uh, there, uh, Jeff Goodman at ESPN has also tweeted that he's heard, quote, looking in, whatever that is, just that he's trying to soften it. But like, I've also heard San Diego, NCAA is looking at San Diego State. I don't know why I had to phrase it that way other than just to be different. <laughs> but like, whatever. And then the San Diego it's State Union. It's been a while since we went after Goodman on the podcast. And then the but. San Diego State Union Tribune also reported that the NCAA is examining uh, potential rules violations in the, uh, in the San Diego State men's basketball program, according to its sources. So like, not only did San Diego State not actually refute what I actually reported, the, the, the local newspaper and a reporter from ESPN both said, yeah, it's true. The NCAA is looking at issues. So you can debate 
you know, the semantics of, quote, under investigation, but I'll keep it real simple. Um, if you're being investigated for something, you're under investigation for it. Like, let's not try to <laughs> like, let's not try to make it like if I'm being investigated for rape, that means I'm under investigation for rape. Like, let's not let's not play, you know, uh, let's not trick ourselves in, in the words and like do the whole what is is mean, you know, whatever the famous Bill Clinton thing was. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, the blowback is more than I anticipated, but it's simply because um, either people have. N- not taken what I wrote as ex- or reported for exactly what it is. Like I've been doing this for a long time. I choose my words uh, carefully and 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 with a purpose. Uh, I knew what not to put in there. I knew what to put in there. I knew how to phrase things to make sure I was safe. The truth is, at least one of my sources, like got into very specific details about what the NCAA is looking for, but. I could not confirm that part of it with a second person. And I decided before I started even typing that I was not going to report anything that I couldn't get confirmed with two completely different and unconnected people. So I didn't even get into like the stuff that I, I'm under the impression the NCAA is looking for because I thought that would have, quote, been reckless. Um, I only reported what I could get from multiple people um, who, who are unconnected. And, um, and then, and then San Diego state, I didn't expect them to confirm the story, but I didn't expect so many people would think that the statement they released is somehow an example of them refuting what I wrote. I didn't use the word formal. You know, I, again, Syracuse was investigated for four years before a quote formal investigation started. I merely said they're, they're being investigated for a very specific allegation of a potential rules violation, which is true. Nobody, nobody at this moment has denied that and nobody will because it's true. So I, yeah, I was a little surprised by the blowback. And the other thing is like, um, if you'll allow me to just rant for a second, um, it's why give you a second. Let's give GP a second to talk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I haven't been talking enough today or ever. So, um, you guys know, like there is a lot of the comments and like, this is a big story in San Diego yesterday. So they, it's all day talk radio. And I, as somebody who hosts a talk radio show, I, I know what those can turn into when you feel like your little, um, uh, you know, little engine that could basketball program that has turned into a big, big thing is now under attack. Like I can get how frustrated, if only because I live in Memphis and that's what Memphis fans thought back in, after the Derrick Rose thing. Right. So I get it. Um, but the idea so there's two things. One is they think, you know, I was asked on radio about the timing of the story. Like, you know, San Diego State has recruits on, on campus and they're in, in, in play with this five-star kid or four-star kid who's choosing between them and, you know, three other schools that are all great. And, you know, it just feels like, like, here's the honest to God truth. And perhaps I shouldn't admit this, but I don't follow recruiting that closely outside of the very top shelf guys. I have no idea who San Diego State's recruiting. Like, no idea. All right? So, like, the idea that I would time this around uh, to try to hurt San Diego State in recruiting, like, seriously, why would I want to hurt San Diego State in recruiting? I-, I love San Diego. It's one of my favorite cities in the country. The best case scenario for me personally is for San Diego State to be awesome so I can keep making trips to San Diego. I love it out there. Beyond that, the other, um, I don't know, just sort of theory was that I read was that um, – my information came from a San Diego State rival. Here's the problem with that. Uh, you know, I, I won't tell you that I've never gotten information about schools from their rivals. 
because I have. But you got to understand, I've been doing this long enough, and 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 you know that you just don't. T- no responsible reporter would simply take information from a rival that could potentially damage a school and just run with it. So sometimes it's it's always interesting to figure out where you first get like a lead on something, where you're first tipped off, and that often can come in the spirit of honesty from a rival. Um, but you would never report it then, or at least I would never report it then. You take that information and you take it to other people, other people who would maybe know about this, other people who aren't, who clearly have no um, axe to grind, and you see, and then you try to figure out, and this is my whole career, you try to figure out if the information you've been given, regardless of what the motivation was behind somebody giving you that motivation, if the motivation you've been, if the information you've been given is valid, is true, is accurate. And so um, I'm not interested in discussing where I got tipped off about the fact that the NCAA is investigating San Diego State, but just trust me, um, the idea that I would just pull that from an assistant coach of a rival and say, oh, cool, thanks for calling. I'm going to post this now at CBSSports.com. That's just silliness. Like anybody suggesting that has no understanding um, of 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 what my job is or, or how this stuff actually works. So it's been frustrating to see, but it's not completely surprising because, um, and, I, and I can't even get angry about it really because people, frankly, the casual basketball fan, they don't know anything about reporting. They don't know anything about uh, it, journalism any more than I know anything about hedge funds, you know? So like, I, I don't get mad about it, but you can be frustrated by um, people just simply don't understand. And when, when there's a lack of understanding combined with um, emotion, well, then, like, yeah, the the, the pushback is, is what you get. Yeah. Okay. Does that make yeah. sense? Hey, enough with, enough about San Diego State fans being mad at me. You know who's mad at you guys? Everyone. You, UConn fans. UConn fans. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we That's did this true. So we did this list the other day. It was on Monday, and it's still posted at cbssports.com, or you can find it on any of our Twitter feeds, of the – 15 programs we think are best positioned at this moment to succeed over the next five years. And we listed a whole bunch of schools, starting with Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Arizona. Uh, But the one school we left off, whose fans did not appreciate it, was UConn. And as I so uh, uh, plainly explained to UConn fans, this ain't me. I had UConn in my list of 15, but I was outvoted by my colleagues, you two and Chip Patterson. So, uh, Sam, I'll let you go first. You want to explain why you didn't? (laughs) Uh, have UConn, which has a young and accomplished head coach, a guy with a national championship. They have a top 25 team this season and the number two recruiting class for 2016 right now, according to 247 Sports. Sam Vecini, you tell me and UConn fans around this country, why would you not put the Huskies on that list of 15? Uh, Well, the biggest thing for me is uh, I do think there's a level of uncertainty in Kevin Ollie as a coach staying there not as a coach overall he's a terrific young coach i think but he's done a dance with the nba in the past and that level of uncertainty scares me a little bit uh he's done a terrific job recruiting i'll say that uh they they do have a terrific class coming in in 2016 uh and in yeah just 2016 i believe but uh, it's it's just kind of hard for me after the way they fell off last season and after you know In 2014, they won the national title. Let's not mistake that. But Mm -hmm. that was a team that was very underachieving throughout 
basically the entire course of that season. Uh, and I, I'm someone who, you, you know, I care a little bit more about the process than the actual result. And the result was great. They won a national title, but the process to get there uh, was not the prettiest thing that we've seen from a national title list before, or even from a general top 15 team before. So I, I'm not entirely sold on this program being this, you know, pillar of uh, college basketball right now. And yeah, maybe, uh, maybe they deserve to be in there over NC state who, you know, also doesn't have a crazy amount of success in the past. I mean, they've made what the NCAA tournament every season under Mark Gottfried, but, uh, never gotten past the sweet 16. Really? Uh, is it sweet 16 or elite eight? It's, it's one of the two. Um, right. So, I mean, maybe you could say off the past that Connecticut deserves to be there, but I don't think that Connecticut, even though they have the number two recruiting class coming in, uh, I don't think it's going to end up that way. I think that NC State's uh, going to have a clearly better class coming in uh, whenever uh, we're, we're assuming that Bam Adebayo ends up there. Right. If he doesn't, hey, whatever, that's fine. Uh, they're in on Raleigh Alkins right now. Uh, the, there's just a lot to be excited about with the NC State program, and uh, I'm not entirely convinced that there's as much to be excited about with the UConn program. Here's what I would say. Um, I think you make an interesting point here about Kevin Ollie because I, I think he's good. I do. Um, but the truth is he's been a head coach for three years. He has a 10-loss team and a 15-loss team. And then, mm-hmm. of course, he has that, that championship team. But, uh, you know, when you win a national championship, you become a national championship coach. Just like if you go to a Final Four, you're a Final Four coach. And I get it. Yep. And it's an accurate label. But I wonder if the perception of Kevin Ollie on some level isn't shaped by an awesome three weeks. It, it is, is, are we going to look up and go one day and go, that was the beginning of a star career, or are we going to look up one day and go, I'll never understand how Kevin Ollie won a national championship in his second year as a head coach, other than he had the best player in the country who took over games. Like I won, like, and, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not subscribing to either side of that. I, I, I think he's good. I think it's more likely that he's good than that was just a fluky three-week run. But his entire like reputation as this young star coach, I don't want to say his entire reputation, but a lot of his reputation is rooted in just a great three weeks, isn't it? Yeah, okay. so, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, so I've long said, since it happened basically, that if it wasn't UConn, if it was Iowa or Colorado or Florida State that made that run as a seven seed, it would be much more regarded as like the craziest tournament championship run ever. But because it was UConn's fourth national championship in 15 years, there was a certain acceptance that it was a blue blood, a modern blue blood, I should say, winning another title. That is really, honestly, it's it's ridiculous that they won the national championship. I still kind of can't believe it actually happened, given what that team was heading into the season and throughout the season. And St. Joe's should have won the first game in it in the tournament, and yet it doesn't. And UConn goes on that yep. run. More power to him, man. It was awesome to cover. Loved it. Had a blast. Amazing run for Ollie. To me, Kevin Ollie right now is what Fred Hoiberg was two years ago and that the NBA was an inevitability. It was just simply a matter of circumstance and when the right NBA franchise was going to open and allow Hoiberg to take the job that Hoiberg wanted. I do not think Kevin Ollie will be coaching at UConn by 2020. So that is my primary reason why I would not put UConn as a top 15 program over the next five years. If you remove Kevin Ollie from the equation, 
I wonder who UConn will get. I wonder how much Calhoun's influence, for good or for bad, will remain within the program. I just simply cannot say with confidence that UConn is a top 15 program in the country for the next five seasons with that much uncertainty. And also, I, I totally agree with Sam. I don't think UConn's going to be anywhere near the top five classes when everything shakes out with that 2016 group over yeah. the next five or six months. I would clearly have UConn as a top 20 program, probably put them somewhere around 18 through 20, but to me they weren't close. I will say this, I was surprised, maybe it's because that fan base is just beaten down, doesn't even want to fight for it. We did not hear from Indiana fans. <laughs> I know. <laughs> one tweet from an Indiana fan. Which was I didn't get one either. I think it's like it's, they're in some like weird, complicated situation where if they try to argue they're going to be one of the top 15 programs over the next five years, they're arguing that Tom Crean is going to make them that. <laughs> and they don't want to argue in favor of Tom Crean. They're so, they're so um, uh, dug in on, on arguing against Tom Crean that we put them in a position where the only way they could argue with this is to argue for Tom Crean. And they just didn't even want this. So they just set it out completely. <laughs> yeah, to me, Indiana was a tough call because it's Indiana and if Crean gets fired, they're going to get a coach and it'll be in a good spot. And I could see it being a top 15 program, but it was, I don't know. I couldn't definitively say that Indiana will be a top 15 program over the next five seasons. I thought that was interesting to me. I, I really push for NC state because Godfrey has done way better than anyone expected since he got there. And the best is seemingly yet to come with the Wolfpack, who have been able to sit at the table with Duke and North Carolina legitimately right now. And with what they've accomplished, yeah, they have not like been getting two seeds and three seeds in the tournament yet. But I, I do think that that is still a program very much accelerating and moving into the next two, three seasons. Yeah, people like to nitpick Mark Gottfried, like, you know, for a lot of obvious reasons. Just do some Google searches. But, like, you know, the bottom line, I'm a, I don't know if I'm a complete believer in the bottom line is the bottom line, but I, I do resort to that a lot. And the truth is, he got a job at a time where Duke's at a high level with a Hall of Fame coach, North Carolina's at a high level with a Hall of Fame coach, and he's gone to four straight NCAA tournaments. He's about to sign a ridiculous class at NC State. Like, he's been great. I mean, relative to, he's really been great there. And I don't know that I thought he'd be great. I, I, I thought he'd get players, and I thought he'd be fine. I don't know that I thought he'd be great. Relative to, I know people like to, you know, go back 30 years and talk about what NC State once was and blah, blah, blah. But, like, relative to what NC State ought to be mm-hmm. in, in the year 2000, like, he's done a hell of a job, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And the other guy that, I kind of argued for and the other team that I argued for more than UConn and even more than NC state was UCLA. Yeah. Uh, he kind of, Steve Alford kind of fits in that same mold. I mean, yeah, UCLA, uh, has a terrific, terrific prestige, but, uh, whenever he took over from Ben Howland, they were kind of struggling. They were really struggling actually. And what's Howland done? He's taken them to back to back, uh, sweet 16s and now he has the number four recruiting class in the country coming in uh, next season and yeah that'll drop they'll probably be like 10th or so uh, but if they get TJ Leaf it won't really drop that much and he's got a legit shot to commit there uh, and then right now they have the number one recruiting class for 2017 too uh, they already have two kids in that class as well so uh, it's 
that that program is really trending up for me in a way that UConn wasn't. Uh, and it's uh, got a real shot on the West Coast to continue to make a mark, in my opinion. Listen, when you when you do a list of 15, you got to stop at 15, right? And right. Yeah. It, it's just like a, when I do that top 25 and one, there's about out of the 26 teams, there's about 20, maybe even 22 that in my mind are no brainers every single day. And then for the last four spots, you know, you're, you're picking between like eight schools that any of them could reasonably be in those last four. It's a little bit like what happened here. There's probably about 10 or 11 of the 15 that are just no brainers. Like you just, there's, there's no way not to have them. And then there's probably another eight or nine that could have made up the final you know, four or five spots. And yep. I think that's the ones we had, obviously. I think UConn is also one. Indiana's also one. UCLA's also one. Could have all reasonably been on the list. I got a text message from somebody who, in the industry who I respect. They said Michigan they would have put on the list. Utah I, they would have put on the list. I had a couple people say Michigan. I, but see, yeah, I just don't know if Utah will have its, its head coach in five years. But, yeah. Michigan, Utah, and Oklahoma. I thought about Oklahoma for my last couple spots, actually. Um, they just don't have the recruiting uh, real uh, momentum, really, right now for me to putting put them over a team like an NC State, really, where they're bringing in, you know, potentially two of the top 15 kids in this class. That's fair. The, uh, the one on the list that I got the most pushback from, and I, I'm curious if you guys did as well, uh, Texas. Yeah. People have said why Texas. People said why Texas. Like what's so like? Explain to me why Texas is going to be one of the top fifteen programs in America over the next five years. They're just going to be okay this year. The following year shouldn't be very good. So like, there's two of the five years already. And every uh, the, the 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 way one coach put it to me, he said every other program you have on that list is like with an established coach who's got it going right now. It's an established coach who's got it going. And then there's Texas with a first year coach. You guys hear similar stuff? Uh, a little bit of that, yes. Uh, I got I a little bit of that too. I don't. I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I, he's got a new AD. <laughs> he's getting a new <laughs> AD, which is huge. I was going to say that's like a really big deal for them uh, in the next uh, two years. I, listen, I, I, I don't want to get too specific, but two funny stories. One, I was with somebody who used to work at Texas. All right, and um, I was talking about. Steve Patterson. And I was like, man, like, like he just seems like he's in such a bad spot. This is back during the summer. And I, um, I said, is he really as weird as people say, like just really as impossible on a personal level as people say, and this person who used to work at Texas, he looks at me and he goes, do you know Steve Patterson? And I said, not really. He said, me neither. <laughs> I don't know him at all. I have no idea. No, I don't, I don't know the guy. Okay. Fast forward to July. I'm talking to somebody who now works at Texas and sort of having the same conversation. Like, what's the story with the AD? It sounds crazy. And uh, this person told me, I've never met him. And I'm like, what do you mean you never met him? Like, you've never been to his house? No, I've never met him. I've never, I've never, like, we've never been in the same room. I don't know. I've never, I was like, hold on. You've been there for months and you haven't met the athletic director. Nope. I was like, that, you, do you realize how, unique and weird that is he said yep <laughs> it's just so i always believe um because it's been reported so i'm not telling secrets here it's been reported that shaka smart and charlie strong both sat down with the president recently and the president was picking their brains about steve patterson and 
they didn't have nice things to say. They didn't have positive things to say. And that weighed on the president's decision. Like my two premier, you know, top shelf coaches don't really have relationships with our athletic director and they don't seem to think highly of him either. Um, that led on some level to, to what happened yesterday happening. Um, but I always thought, because again, I don't think I'm telling secrets here. Like one of the hangups with Shaka, and he was always going to take the Texas job. He like, don't get it twisted. That's how good the Texas job is. But he was like genuinely like he read all the stuff about Steve Patterson and heard all the stuff about Steve Patterson. So he was really doing his homework on Steve Patterson, right? Talking to people who knew him, talking to people who worked with him, all that stuff. Um, but I always believed that Shaka's sort of opinion was 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 rooted in one of two things. One. I'll get there and I'll just make it work. He won't be that bad. Or I'll get there and I'll outlast him. So even if he's a, a weirdo, I'll, I'll just outlast him and then they'll get a normal person in there and we'll be fine. And as we found out yesterday, they, uh, they, you know, he outlasted him. He outlasted his, uh, his athletic director. Crazy. And it was not even two years. I mean, the, the way I look at it is for you to get a job like the Texas athletic director – and to not even last two years, the amount of people you have to tick off and the amount of missteps you have to take have to be so gargantuan. I mean, it's almost impossible to not last 24 months on a job at a job like that. Just <laughs> given given the, the decisions that have to go into you even getting the job in the first place, the amount of money that's involved. But then on the flip side, when you've got so many power brokers in play, you know, sort of any move is erasable no matter what, but still it is, it's remarkable. And now, you know, that's just an uh, incredible job that's opening up. It's just been a very interesting time for Texas in general with the football and basketball changeovers, obviously in the coaching department. And, you know, apparently their football SID was the most liked human being of all time. I've right. never seen an SID get more love from more media was, members. Listen, I'm not even a mm -hmm. football writer, but I, 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 uh, I was around him. In my a lot of times I was down and out. It's great. Like the idea that that guy got fired. Like that. Like sometimes when 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 somebody who everybody knows is a great at their job and b well liked. When when and you choose to fire that person. Like that says something about you. It doesn't say something about him. And yeah, the whole thing was just crazy. And like coaches can get fired in two years. Like Billy Gillespie got fired in two years. Although that was also on some level just because of a lack of people skills. Like I think if Billy had good people skills, he would have got a third year at Kentucky. Um, but uh, coaches can get fired in two years. The reason is because you 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 have to do like you can go out and just like lose and get your brains beat in. And there's something tangible that suggests you're not good at your job. With an athletic director, it, there's very few things you can do to prove you're not good at your job. There are things you can do to prove that you're that you are good, but it's almost unprecedented for an athletic director to get fired inside of two years without some sort of you know, as we saw at Minnesota, off the, you know, like, you know, sexual harassment, some sort of legal issue. Like the mm -hmm. idea that you could you could not be in some sort of legal bind, some sort of um, uh, uh, lawsuit and lose an athletic director's job inside of two years. It's bananas. Crazy. Like that's, yeah, how, that's how, like that has got to be the ultimate, it's time to look in the mirror moment for a human being. Like I just lost an athletic director's job at Texas and I had no lawsuit filed against me, and I had no legal issues. What in the world happened? But I, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I think it's a great, uh, it's a great thing for Shaka Smart, uh, and, and I trust on some level that uh, Shaka probably knows that. Well, look at this. It's 47 minutes in. It's time to go, right? It is time to go, but I'm going to give a push. So. 
for our series. So on Friday, Sam will have something about the top 10 college basketball states in the country. And right now, there's a map on CBSSports.com of the top 50 college basketball states in the country in terms of programs right now and who is set up to have the most success over the next five years. So be sure to give that a look. Share it on social media. It's a, it's a free Google. It's a cool deal. All right. Go check that out. It is uh, at CBSSports.com. And remember, uh, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest uh, podcast. So make sure to do that. And uh, either way, we uh, will talk to you again next week. Till then, take care. <laughs>